If you can guess what the sound that just followed the theme song, which was me opening beer, was, then you get a prize in our latest giveaway. Chris, tell them what they've won. Uh, let me see. I have in my pocket right here a free disposable lens wipe. Oh, offer good only for a limited time. Yeah, so uh, if you can tell us what that sound was that followed the beer opening, then you win a lens wipe, which may also be useful for cleaning your Switch screen or smartphone. Y yeah. Maybe. Because it's, uh, it's, it's just alcoholic. a glass cleaner, right? It's alcoholic. It's alcoholic. You could just, like, suck on it for a while and get drunk. Well, let's see what type of alcohol is in that. Yeah, you never want to never want to drink methanol, kids, because that's uh, that's how you go blind. And you die. Learn something new every day. So if you ever drink methanol, just drink a lot of like actual booze to wash it away with. Otherwise, you'll probably go blind and die. There are better ways to go than blind and dead. Yeah. So you got a bunch of got to drink a bunch of real booze. All right. Speaking of real booze, uh, we have a mixed drink that was suggested to us by uh, the Daddy Gamers on um, smells good Discord. Discord, that's what it's called. Uh, yeah, so he actually had a different recipe that I didn't write down, so I looked one up later uh, for butterbeer. So this isn't quite the same as his recipe, but, uh, I mean, it should be butterbeerish. Uh, and there was enough for... Well, the recipe actually made, like, a big giant bucket, so I, like, cut it in half and then it was still, like, probably more booze than I wanted to drink because I wanted to have a beer later, too. So I'm like, okay, I'll share one with Chris. So, Chris, you have to drink some Sean Drink something stupid this week. Suck it up. Mm -hmm. Is that what you thought butterbeer would taste like? That's not bad. Yeah, it's actually, that's pretty good. Yeah. It actually yeah. doesn't taste all that dissimilar from a... A butter beer I had in Florida. Oh, cool. In that case, Except I made it right. This one has booze in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, his recipe called for, like, butterscotch schnapps and cream soda and something else that I forgot what it was. Uh, this one had the schnapps as well as uh, ginger beer and apple cider. And um, bourbon which I didn't have very much bourbon left, and my bourbon is good bourbon, and I didn't want to use it for this, so instead I put in Canadian whiskey because the Canadian whiskey is cheaper than my good bourbon. Well, that makes sense to me. And I figured, you know, it's it's roughly similar kinds of styles between the cheap Canadian whiskey and some bourbon. Uh, and But this, this is good drinking bourbon, and I rather just keep for drinking and like if i made the actual full recipe i think i would have probably used all of my bourbon and then i would have been sad because i had no bourbon yeah 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 oh we should we should we introduce ourselves or do you figure that anybody that's listening to us doesn't need the introduction I don't know, all 25 of them probably have an idea of who we are by now. But for those of you who don't know, I am Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, and forgetting, for forgetting to... Blah, 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 excuse me while I pretend to know how to speak. For forgetting to introduce myself, I have to drink. That's part of the game. All right. I will drink to that. And this is Chris. He'll drink to that. All that. Ha, I made up your fake middle name for the day. You can make up another one later. This is actually pretty good. I don't think I can have all of this. 
Okay. You buzzed already? Yeah, I'm that much of a lightweight that I buzzed <laughs> off three steps. <laughs> That's impressive. All right. Either that or there's more alcohol than I realized in there. Uh, yeah, it's it's like between the two of them, there's about a shot and a half of bourbon and then some, some of the schnapps, which uh, is not as alcoholic. So I've... I'm not sure exactly how much booze is in each cup, but, uh, you know, there you go. It is very good, though. Yeah. Cool. I think that's good. So thank you, the Daddy Gamers, for suggesting that. Uh, if you want to suggest a drink for us to s- drink on the podcast, then go over to the Two Guys Playing Zelda Discord uh, or hit me up on Twitter or actually our Facebook because I get notifications for that when people interact with it, which they don't. I forgot to update it last week. I, I'm not sure anybody cares. I mean, we have does anybody follow us on Facebook? I, I, like, I don't I follow us on Facebook. <laughs> you traitor. <laughs> I mean, I, I follow us on Twitter, and that's where all the Yeah, that's, that's where happen. I do most of my stuff, and I do the announcements, and I started doing the announcements and stuff, and, like, I tried, like, running it like a Facebook page where, like, Facebook pages randomly post memes and shit, and I'm not good at that, so I kept, like, making up random polls and junk and getting three votes. But on Twitter, when I make up random polls, I get, like, seven votes. So I'm like, yeah. I'm, Twitter's better. Yeah. Which is weird for me to say, because I'm not... I'd call myself not a fan of social media. Yeah. I'm not a fan either, but it has its uses. Yeah. And so And they're, they're too numerous to be worth, like, deleting my Facebook... Because I, I think about it, like, constantly. Oh, man, I should delete the Facebook app. But then I'm like, oh, well, then I couldn't contact all of these people when I need to or something. Yeah. So I'm like, damn it. That's how I remain in contact with people. So Yeah. yeah. A large amount of people I, I know on Facebook, and I see their stupid memes, and I comment on their stupid memes and the typographical errors therein. When you hard, then you hard. Yeah. I saw that one. <laughs> anyway, uh, what do you rate this on a scale of 3 to 17? Uh, on a scale of 3 to 17, I'd say that's a solid 14 or 15. Cool. It's a, I don't think I... I really don't think I can drink anymore, though. Oh, okay. I am... Just dump it in here. Surprised. I'll, I'll fix it. And then I'll have this beer. Or you can have this beer. I haven't actually drunk any of it yet. Yeah. I'll have to have this on a night when I can drink more. Cool. Would you like this beer? Uh, yeah. I'll take that beer. Check out that beer, and then give it a rating on a scale of 3 to 17 while I think about this butterscotch Mm. yumminess. That's pretty good. Um, I'm going to give that a... mm, I'm going to go 14 as well. What do you think about that... uh, so, uh, what's your beer? What did I pick? Uh, Big Juicy, Juicy Freak. Freak by Denver Beer Co. And usually I'm a fan of their beers, but this one's kind of, it's a little underwhelming. It's like, I'd call it a 12. Okay. It's not, yeah, not it's terrible. Not, it's not terrible. It's I'd, still I'd a plus it. one beer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, actually, Denver Beer Company makes a lot of different stuff that I like pretty well. Um, I just got a mix pack from them because it happened to be the most interesting mix pack at the store today. So that's what I bought. Um, yeah, uh, I, I feel like I've had that, but I don't remember it all that well. So that probably speaks to how okay of an IPA it is. It's a very okay IPA, although I may be saying that just because I had some of that, and that's a much stronger flavor. Somehow that's how it comes out occasionally, because actually I had another one of those uh, 
easy jacks that we had on the podcast after I had a union jack uh, last week or two weeks ago. And, uh, like, the, the easy jack is a fine IPA. It's just coming off of the union jack, which is a really, really good IPA. It's like, eh. It, you kind of, yeah, it kind of ruins you. you yeah, get... a little bit. Which is among my problem of putting more than one IPA in a mix pack. Stop doing that, breweries. Putting like one IPA and maybe another light thing and like five kinds of stout. That is the kind of mix pack I want. <laughs> Nobody makes that. <laughs> a five kinds of stout and one IPA at mix pack? Yeah. It sounds or, like a or perfect just mix the pack. stout, right? Yeah. <laughs> How come they get like like you go to Stone and I think Stone probably has enough IPAs that they have four different versions of the IPA only mix pack. And but but then like nobody makes like a hey, here's three stouts and a porter. I think IPAs are kind of a IPAs are they're like the new favorite beer for a lot of people. Could be. It's a good go-to, I think. Yeah. Um, they are really popular. Um, as actually, I follow Golden City Brewery on the social media, as we were just talking about. Um, and they were just uh, slightly lamenting the fact and slightly marveling at the fact that they went through a keg of their... Um, IPA faster than ever. Uh, I forget how long it was on, but it, they should name their IPA faster than ever. <laughs> it wouldn't be bad. Uh, what is their IPA called now? I'm trying to think of it. Uh, Evolution IPA from Golden City Brewery. Huh. It's a really good one. Um, it's available in cans at some places, so go check them out if you like. Golden them. City Brewery. Oh, or if you're in Colorado, you can just go to Golden City Brewery. It's in Golden. Who would have guessed? Good, good, good beer. Yeah. Yeah. And they usually got two kinds of stout on. Sometimes. Sometimes three. Depends on, you know, what's what's going on. Because they've had their, their go-to stout used to be their oatmeal stout, and now it's a dryish stout. Uh, it's suddenly raining outside. And this is the first time I think it's rained on your podcast. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> it's been a hot-ass summer. Yeah, it's even though it's now fall. Right, yeah. I, I'm hoping for September to happen any day now, but I'm not giving it much hope because September ends in three days. We might <laughs> skip September entirely and just go roll right through to October. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be like October like 3rd. It's going to fucking like giant-ass dump of snow. It's, it's going to be like, nope, we're December now. Suck it. Yeah, that's Colorado. Yeah. All right. Um, I'd say you should move here, but you really shouldn't. You said a 12-ish. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm warming up to it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, now you got that kind of... Maybe you should have done a palate cleanse, because these are very different kinds of things as well. Yeah, get me like a jar of salt so I can roll my tongue around in it. Yes, that is is roughly what you do. Roll roll that (laughs) tongue. Roll it all over. Anyway, um... So I guess we can get into the brief news stuff. Um, actually, a couple of anniversaries or birthdays or whatever the fuck you want to call them uh, happened. So last Saturday, September twenty-first, was the 80th 
anniversary of the first printing of Batman in Detective Comics. So, happy birthday, Batman. He's 80. That's fucking old. What was their Batman writer's name? Kane? Bob Kane? Uh, yes. Okay. Happy, uh... Happy Nobody Remembers You Day, Bob Kane. Poor Bob Kane. Poor Bob Kane. We only remember the soothing voice of Kevin Conroy. Yeah. Because we grew up in the 90s. And the non-soothing voice of Mark Hamill. Yeah, surprisingly non-soothing. Yeah, I, like, I feel like probably a lot of kids still had nightmares. Joker was one of the creepiest villains. Yeah. In- and uh, Monday, September 23rd, uh, just passed, marks 130th anniversary of the founding of Nintendo. Wow. From yeah. playing cards to whatever the fuck that is. Yeah. They've done a lot of things in between, too. Uh, <laughs> kind of one weird invention after the next until finally they just uh, kind of settled on toys and games as a thing. What is really incredible about them is that they still focus on making good games. As yeah. opposed to, you know, it feels like the focus is still on making good games as opposed to profit-seeking at all of Well, you costs. know what? We're going to get to that in just a second because Mario Kart Tour released. <laughs> Speaking of just profit-seeking stuff, um, so actually, it released very, very well. It made uh, 20 million downloads in the first 24 hours it was available, making it the most successful mobile launch of a free game on a a mobile platform uh, ever. This is kind of with an asterisk, because it's kind of questionable. Well, it's, it's not... Questionable. It's the thing is, they released simultaneously on Apple devices and Android, and uh, the next two places are Super Mario Run and Pokemon Go, which both were right around seven million downloads their first twenty-four hours, and uh, they released only on iPhone uh, for their launch, and then released on Android. Uh, not too long after that for both of those games. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering if Pokemon Go would have done better if it had released both simultaneously. Because Pokemon Go is, like, hilariously popular and such. I and, would be uh, surprised but, if it didn't. Yeah. And also on their launch day, uh, I saw a report said that it earned $1 million. Huh. That's kind of fucking impressive. Yeah. So I guess a million of those 20 million people spent a buck. Ish. Well, probably 19 of those 20 people spent nothing, and then one of those 20 people spent, like, $20. Right, yeah. (laughs) That's how that works. (laughs) Probably. Uh, So did you play Mario Kart Tour at all? Nope. Okay, I played at launch day. I was one of the 20 million, and... um, I, I think uh, the best review I saw of it was from a YouTuber named Zeltic. Uh, so shout out to that guy. He does cool theory videos and all sorts of different Legend of Zelda content. So check him out. Um, his review of Mario Kart Tour was, go play Mario Kart 8. <laughs> so, there, there, yeah, it's like it's, it's a kind of a dumbed down version of what we've come to know and love of Mario Kart. It, like, it's not terrible, but it, I don't know. The controls, I felt, were really clunky. You can choose either touch controls 
or tilt controls, and both of them felt not good. I've never been a fan of tilt controls. I wouldn't have minded tilt control, because I, I liked tilt controls on Mario Kart Wii. I actually used them exclusively for that version. But with this one, it's, it's also really weird, because it's always in portrait mode. You can't switch it to landscape, and that bugs the shit out of me, because it's like, this sort of game feels like it should not be in portrait mode. I'm... Yeah, I don't think this game will have much staying power, just based off of that. Yeah, I think that's part of it. It's also kind of got a gotcha system, where you have, you know, certain percentages to acquire certain drivers from a random thing. So, like, my first two drivers were Toad and Bowser, which was kind of okay, because I got a really lightweight and I got a really heavyweight, and I got to see that both of them control just as clunkily. Uh, is that a word? Should be a word. We'll call it a word. It's a word now. I mean... Call up Oxford. Eulogism is a thing. Bless you. Oh. Right, but yeah, it, uh, I don't know. I was just kind of underwhelmed. I'm like, with as powerful as mobile devices are now, I don't see why you couldn't run something that's like 99% as good as Mario Kart 8 on a mobile device. Well, like, there are tablets out there that are more powerful than the Switch. Someone needs to invent a controller for a phone. They, they have. It's called the Xbox controller, or the Switch controller, or a shitload of other third-party controllers. <laughs> like, most... A lot of controllers now are through Bluetooth, so you can set them up. Yeah, I know for a fact that uh, I've actually used my Switch controller to play games on my phone oh. through its Bluetooth uh, on my Pro controller. Um... I got a buddy who does some gaming on the go on his laptop all through his Xbox One controller because it's also set up to automatically connect to Windows. Uh, and it's just like Windows now has a base thing in it that it's just compatible. I've, uh, I've always, I have used controllers to connect to my PC before. Right. I got all those controller games that on PC. Yeah. I like everything better with a controller, personally. Controllers are good for you. I like keyboard and mouse for some things, and controller for others. Yeah, I'm certain keyboard and mouse has a place. I don't prefer it for shooters and the like. Which uh, is very strange to me, but... You know what I, I do really like, though, is uh, High Fidelity Motion Controls, which is pretty much only a thing on Switch. Also, for shooters, that's, like, amazing. Splatoon is one of the best shooter experiences ever because it's standardized motion controls in shooters. And now shooters feel weird to play if you don't have them. Like, playing Rage 2 was plenty of fun on PS4, but the fact that it doesn't have any motion aiming is, like, it's a little weird coming off of Doom and Wolfenstein having motion aiming. I, I do feel like that motion controls and shooters are one of the areas where motion controls really do shine. Yeah. Of course, not not in Red Steel, but, you know, in other games. Right. <laughs> well, not a lot of things shined in Red Steel. <laughs> was kind of the general consensus. I never played that game. Like, it looked cool from the trailer, and then everybody that I know that had it was like, this game is like, eh. Yeah, I remember getting to I think I got to the final mission of that game and I just it just kept on 
infinitely spawning enemies at me and I kept dying and I was just like, you know what, I don't need to see I feel like it was game. just the launch title that was like, ooh, I'm edgier than Twilight Princess. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then I played the shit out of Twilight Princess. Yeah. I played the shit out of Twilight Princess before I got a Wii because I had it on GameCube. Because I was not a person with a Wii at the time, but the Wii came out until like a couple of months later. I actually got the last one in stock at my local Kmart of all places. <laughs> that Kmart closed last year. Nobody misses Kmart. Not really. Like I even, I'm, like I'm kind of surprised that Kmart was as was open for as long as it was. Right, yeah, and then they opened the Walmart across the street and it was just like, "Okay, fine, we throw in the towel." <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> it's like cuz Literally, they opened the Target, like, two miles away, and I never went to Kmart again. Because Target was a better store? Yes. In every way. All of them. I mean, not for, like, if, like, if you were homeless mm -hmm. and needed a place to sleep. It was probably worse for that. Right. So anyways, back to uh, Mario Kart Tour. Um, have you played any of the Nintendo mobile games? I have not. You played Pokemon Go briefly, didn't you? I downloaded Pokemon Go. I have it on my phone. I opened it briefly. I selected an avatar. Um, I don't think I ever actually caught a Pokemon. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. Is it? I uh, got it and installed it after kind of the first major uh, wave of players. Right. It is one of those games, though, where... I can look at a lot of people and see them playing it. Like, my boss's boss plays it. Right. Yeah, I've been playing it a lot less recently, but, you know, it's oddly one of the mobile games that has kept my attention because just games on my phone just don't feel as good as games on anything else is a lot of my issue. And with... This one, it's like, it's cool because it's a different game anywhere you go, basically. You know, you're still, you're exploring the real world. And I thought that was a really cool draw. And also, it was just a lot of nostalgia to go back through the first several generations of Pokemon and, you know, relive the glory days. But other than that, like, all of these kind of mobile app games that Nintendo has been doing, I kind of liken to the live-action remakes of classic okay. Disney movies. It's just like, yeah, okay, that's there, and it's gonna make a crap load of money, but why? Because money. <laughs> right. You can dry the tears you have from pillaging something that was once sacred with mm. a lot of $20 bills. Right. And it's not that any of these games are bad. It's just that, like, they could be better if they were built as games instead of as cash grabs. Because, like, the core gameplay in Fire Emblem Heroes is pretty much the same as the core gameplay in Fire Emblem. You know, it's a tactics game. You go and you attack the bad guys, and then you you win. Yay. But, uh... They're cash grabs, but they're not naked cash grabs. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, except for Fire Emblem Heroes, where it's, like, literally just... Like, hey, look, here's a new fan service -y version of uh, Estelle to get, or... Uh... Yes, money. Yeah. 
fit well, but it's it's also a gotcha. So it's like, hey, you might get Crom in a bunny suit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I I guess I guess they'll take some of my money then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you always wanted Crom in a bunny suit. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> So, yeah, I'm not impressed with it, and I have not been impressed with any of their mobile releases except for Pokemon Go, and... Yeah. Yeah. I probably, having no experience with them personally, I probably would still agree with you. Mm -hmm. I'd still say it's better than Bravely Default wanting to charge you, like, five real-world dollars in a single-player RPG to get a time point. So you could take an extra turn whenever you wanted for five real world dollars. I don't know if that was the exact amount of money, but... That's kind of bullshit, yeah. Yeah, it's... Why? Why would you do that? Wants money. I guess, huh? Just, yeah. Yeah. And an otherwise okay game. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so... But other than that, like Super Mario Run was like, eh, it's a, it's it's fine, and so was uh, the Doctor Mario World, but Doctor Mario World was really boring. I felt like it just was like really easy puzzles for too long to get you the concept of put the blue pills next to the blue viruses, put the red pills next to the red. Vi- I don't fucking get it. What? Do something else. What I want to know is when they're going to uh, bring back Mr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine in mobile form. I don't know. So I can play that on the go. There's a brief uh, version of it in Sonic Mania. Oh, as yeah. One as, part of the, of, as one of the boss fights. Yeah, it's like a boss fight at the end of one of the levels in the first chapter, I think. Dang, the second chapter. Now, yeah, it's in, uh, it's in the second area. Because first you've got Green Hill Zone, obviously. And then you're in like this techno kind of area that I forget what it's called. Uh, and it's in there. Sonic Mania is just weird to me in that someone managed to put together like a good classic Sonic game all these years later. Yeah. Just as long as it wasn't Sega, I think we're good. Yep. <laughs> Alright, so moving on. Uh, another release just came out. Um, I Love You Colonel Sanders released on Steam this week. And this is the dating simulator where you date Colonel Sanders. Yes. And you have hilarious anime rivals trying to hook up with him as well. It's all done in this anime style, and it's officially, like, it's literally published by KFC. I think I said something along the lines of, this is actually weirder than the Burger King Xbox games. Right, yeah, we were talking about that, uh... This this is a lot weirder than that, I feel like. Uh, and I totally want it, and I might get it. If there's a Switch port, I'm fucking getting it. I'm not sure I have time for a dating sim in my uh, busy day-to-day life anymore, but if I was to play a dating sim, I would, pay, I would play this one second. <laughs> What's the first one? Uh, Dare I ask? I still haven't played Doki Doki Literature Club. Hmm. Feel like I've heard of that. Yeah, I think I think that one got some rave reviews. Cool. Untitled Goose Game also released this week. Yeah. Uh, actually, on the same day. Actually, technically, it released last week because I guess that was Friday because it released on the same day as Link's Awakening, and I didn't pay attention because Link's Awakening released. 
should get Link's Awakening. Yeah. And Untitled Maybe Goose Game. On the Switch and not on PC. Yeah. Because Link's Awakening is not on PC. Untitled Goose Game might be. I, I, I wasn't paying attention. It is, but they, they put it they put it on the Epic Store. And I'm not going mm. to download Spyware. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, so uh, Untitled Goose Game looks kind of hilarious, but I, I feel like I wouldn't actually put in as much... I, I wouldn't put in very much time into it if I had it, I think. Yeah, from what I understand, it's a very short game. Mm-hmm. It's 10 or 15 hours or something like that. Right. If that... Technically, that's longer than a lot of people are rating it Link's Awakening. You know, most people are... Saying nine or ten hours for that. Although I feel like most reviewers really? have played Link's Awakening before, too. So they kind of have an idea of where to go and what to do and how everything works. I feel like if you were going into this blind, it would take longer. Now, when you say reviewers... Uh, when I say reviewers, I mean people who I've... Let's see. Uh, what reviews have I looked at? Um, Nintendo Life... Game Explain, and I've read a few more. Those those ones I watched videos for because they put them up. Um, and I'm trying to think of who else I read. Somebody, I read a handful of Metacritic, just ones that were linked from Metacritic. So, I don't know. The original Link's Awakening was not a game I ever got very far in. Mm -hmm. I did spend a lot of time playing it. If I remember right, that's kind of what I thought when you know when I was a kid. I'm sure I spent a lot more than nine hours just wandering around lost. <laughs> but uh, it is a lot easier to navigate in this version because uh, I feel like navigation was a little tricky in the other one because you know screen by screen navigation is one thing, but then also a lot of the environments kind of looked the same, so it was hard to tell really where you were. So it was very easy to get lost. Yeah, I, I thought so in the original one, because I'd find myself walking in circles fairly often, you know, being like, oh, I thought I was, you know, past this point that I was trying to get to, to get around this, to the other side of the shrine, or, you know, whatever, wherever I'm trying to go. I also think that the uh, original Link's Awakening had some of the best music. Shit, yeah. The Those early games. Yeah. Like... In some cases, I, I think it's, like, still comparably good to the HD remake with a full orchestra. Wow. Uh, some of those, some of the ones in the remake really, really hit it, uh, especially with the kind of graphic style that looks almost like toys in a garden or a diorama or something, uh, where some of the music, like, almost feels like a children's music box, kind of, and that really sort of helps reinforce that style. Um, but I feel like particularly the Telltale Heights theme kind of falls short of the original because it, it just... I'm not sure exactly what it is about it. It's a good remix, but it's not quite so epic. It's, and I think it's also maybe partially because it's not even as epic as the remix from Cadence of Hyrule. It's funny that you say that because it kind of reminds me of the... I want to call it the OC remix problem. Mm. where it's a lot of the OC remixes. Event occasionally you get one that's fantastic and knocks it out of the knocks the original out of the water, but a lot of the time it's just kind mm. of a genre conversion that loses something along the way. Yeah, maybe. 
Yes. Which I'm, you know, I love OC Remix partially because of that, because then you get to see, like, really weird takes on stuff that you would not expect sometimes. Yeah. We're just plugging everybody, aren't we? Well, I'm like, if you don't, if you don't know who OC Remix is, what that website right, is, you should also, go stop listening to our podcast and go give some of their stuff a listen. Like, yeah, legitimately, they're cooler than us. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of artists there. Um, anyways, uh, so let's see. I think that's all the news, unless there's any news that you know of. Um, hmm. Mountain Blade Banner Lord uh, has a release date for March 2020. Neat. And you will never see me again when that release date hits. Okay, well, I'll probably be playing Final Fantasy VII Remakes, so there you go. Oh, man. You're going to have a hard march. Yeah, they're just going to find me, <laughs> and I'll be like a wasted-away skeleton. Right. And I'll be surrounded with, like, two liters full of piss. <laughs> That's gross. Well, it's been about three days. So our video game topic for today is how to make a good protagonist, whether they are a full character or just an avatar. Um, kind of discussed this, you know, briefly one time, I think, and that's how we decided to choose it. And then we put it off on the back burner because I did something else that week. And I think briefly getting us back to where we were because we were complaining about Byleth. Right. H- has your opinion improved on Byleth at all? Not on Byleth. On f- three houses in general, yes. But I feel like there was one grievous mistake in the design of three houses. Because basically what I found out uh, is I actually... I was going to do another house. After I did Black Eagles, I was going to go back and do Blue Lions. Uh, but then... I found out that there's actually uh, two alternate endings to the Black Eagle storyline. And one of them is, like, the one that I expected and that I was, like, totally ready for it to happen. Because basically in the start, you choose one of your three houses. You know, you got your Black Eagles, Edelgard's the leader. You got your Blue Lions, Dimitri's the leader. You got your golden deer and claude is the leader you, so basically you're picking one of these three people to be your primary protagonist for the whole game is what it's leading you to believe and then halfway through the black eagle storyline if you don't do a specific conversation in one particular month of the game then it automatically makes you betray edelgard and she's a bad guy for the rest of the game. And that fucking pissed me off. That's pretty classic Fire Emblem design. Hiding, making it so you can permanently miss something with no indicators of as to what you're missing. Yeah, uh, but then once I did it, I, you know, because I, I didn't really focus a lot on the exploration aspect of it uh, my first playthrough. Because basically... When you explore, I, you know, there's not a lot to do, I feel like, and it all feels like busy work. So I really just kind of didn't want to do any of it. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do a lot of meals to increase people's happiness or uh, motivation so that I can train them in more skills when the training time comes. It's, it's one of those micromanagement things, and, like, it was fine. I did it basically to just to micromanage it, and... 
that's all I used it for. But there's occasionally different things, like not very often, but occasionally there's different things that you can do. Like in one month, there's like a dance competition at the monastery where you can enter one of your people, and if they win, then they get uh, the dancer class as an unlockable, which is really cool because I don't... uh, It's been a few games since there was a dancer uh, that I remember... And I'm, I don't remember what... I, I think the last one I remember... It wasn't a dancer, but... I think but, there uh, was a dancer in Fates. Was there? But it was just the one character. Right, it might have been an obscure one or something that you could only get through childbirthing or something. It was, uh... I don't remember. I don't remember one in Fates. Blue-haired lady. Okay. Do you remember her? Yeah, no, wait, yeah, I remember her. Maybe she was there. She had no hit points. No. But she could make your tank move twice. Yeah. And that that was the point. Okay, so maybe I do remember her. But I feel like... Uh, th- yeah, I, I don't know. I don't... Like, I remember her now, now that you mention it. But I'm like... Was that a Fates or Awakening? Uh, that was Fates. Was Fates? Awakening... Yeah, Awakening had, like... like Awakening's blue-haired lady was Lucina. Yeah. She okay. was more important. Yes. Um, yeah, so, basically, uh, I, I wasn't paying attention to any of the exploration things, uh, but occasionally you could do something like get a new class, or, oh, hey, here's a gigantic timeline split that makes all of the difference possible. (laughs) And it it was weird, though, because I feel like when you choose Edelgard at the start of the game, you should follow her to the end of it, right? As the default setting, like, I'm fine that there's an extra timeline, but I feel like the extra timeline where you betray her should be the alternate one, and the default one should be follow her. Or even have the line. decision for splitting the storyline be clearly signposted. Yeah, like, because I got to the same place, and I remembered having seen this part in my first playthrough, where basically... Uh, Edelgard rebels against the church. Slight spoiler there. Um, but uh, basically, head church lady says, okay, now she's our enemy. Go kill her. And when you have done the prerequisite thing, you get two choices. You get, I must protect Edelgard or I must kill Edelgard. And if you didn't do the thing, it just says, I must kill Edelgard. That's your one choice. And I was like, no, this is fucking bullshit. And I was like, I didn't even want to push the button. I was like, no, I'm not fucking can't make doing me this. Game. Right? Yeah, but the, the game could at that point because I hadn't watched one extra cutscene randomly that month of all fucking things. <laughs> I'm like, what a silly thing. This, this is why I'm like, this is why I'm thinking about this game. I'm like, you should play Undertale. You would enjoy Undertale. Yeah. Based off of a, based off a, off of a couple of things here. that I really am annoyed by in yeah. Fire Emblem Three Houses, but other than that, the rest of the game is actually pretty good. I still miss the weapon triangle, but uh, you know the the levels are fine. Uh, a lot of the characters are really cool, and uh, now actually the story is kind of cool coming from the other side now because basically when the Edelgard splits off from the church. You kind of follow the church and what they're doing in the war, and now I'm following what Edelgard's doing in the war, and so it's 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 pretty cool. 
just to see and and then you know if you did any of the other paths then there would be all sorts of cool timeline things to you know they're all weaving in and out of each other and you kind of got to play all of them to really understand but i'm just gonna play two would you have preferred the game if edelgard if when you had picked black eagles you just had edelgard has the protagonist yes that would have been a million times better like byleth doesn't even need to exist so like he serves no purpose yeah He's just there to be the insert character, but... Yeah. But he, he doesn't actually say anything important or make any decisions. Or have a personality. Yeah. Like... It's funny, though. On my second playthrough, I chose a female Byleth, and, like, her animations are very slightly more expressive, and it goes a long way to making it a little better, but it's still pretty lame. They could have just gone all the way and made Byleth an actual character, or they could have taken Byleth out instead and said, hey, you're the faceless commander. Honestly, the game would have been exactly the same. <laughs> like, with or without Byleth, it, it, it doesn't matter. There's no need for a Byleth. Yeah. But, so, how do we make a good protagonist... That's not just an avatar. Because Byleth is just an avatar for you, but it's not even a good avatar, is I feel like the problem with Byleth. Because a good avatar should be like, okay, I'm here to represent you in the game, and you can make some of the decisions, and you kind of choose how to do what, what and what. And Byleth is there, and you're given dialogue options that most of the time lead to the same response. And if they don't lead to the same response, then they lead to another character telling you, no, I think we should do this instead, if you choose the wrong one. If you choose the one the game didn't want. Yeah. Which is stupid. There's a lot of thunder outside suddenly. Yeah. Like, September is here. Yeah. Finally. Finally. 28 fucking days. Jeez. That's enough time for a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I'll drink to that. Delicious. Present. Yeah, so how do, you, how do you make that better? Like, if this was the intention uh, for Byleth specifically, just because for it, it's easy frame of reference and it's in our mind, uh, what do you think would be a better way to go about that? Uh, because Byleth is a character on the screen, you know, give them more than two or three emotions... G give them emotions as You're if they were... far too much credit saying two or three emotions. G give him emotions. He has vacant and slight smirk. Give him a, give him actual emotions. There you like go. Like a real character. Fear, yeah. anger, disgust, outrage, mm. happiness, elation. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to keep naming emotions. Disgust. Arousal. He has arousal at the end of the game. You get to marry somebody. And oh. I was like, you know what? Byleth is so lame, I can't marry him to anybody. I'm going to marry the priest guy, because apparently the priest guy is also gay. So I'm like, you know what? You're just going to sleep through your relationship. Go ahead. Marry Linhart. Did the Linhart will did, sleep through it. What did he, he do to deserve Byleth? <laughs> Nothing. Actually, Linhart was an okay character. He wasn't great, but I feel like he was the... He was the well, he you was know, the, he was the second the lamest character. And the lamest character is Flane, 
and she's like six. So I'm like, I can't marry Flame. She says fucking creepy. Like, she, it's funny. The whole game, she's telling you, oh, yeah, I'm just as old as all the other students here. And you're like, bullshit. You're fucking hiding something. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I feel like it's kind of a weird way that they approached it. And they've approached it a lot better in Fire Emblem. And they've done both versions, because, like, in the Fire Emblem Game Boy games, you were literally faceless, did not appear in battles, except for at the very start, you'd have a little avatar guy that would then run into the woods or something at the start of the battle, because you're just the tactician, Yeah, was kind of how they played that off. And I thought that worked fine, because... You're not there to interact specifically. You're also, just kind it's of funny to imagine shouting command orders from the trees. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, Lynn, move over there! Attack that guy! And then the guy's like, oh shit, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it's just kind of like, that worked. You know, they didn't need an extra character. And then in Fates and uh, more so in Awakening. They did it really, really right, where you're the tactician character again, but you're also an actual character that's got amnesia and you're interacting with it, and you've got a really actually kind of a. Robin had some of the most strong support conversations in the game. Um, it helped that Robin actually <coughs> seemed like a human being. Yeah, that was like crazy. And Robin was, didn't wasn't even the main character. Yeah, like kind of a one up there, but obviously it was mostly Crom. Yeah, yeah, all about Crom. Gotta love those blue-haired animoid boys. <laughs> hey, if if you play your cards right, you can. I did. <laughs> I'm Lucina's mom. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, Spoilers. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. That game came out a while ago. That's the one of the funny thing about spoilers, though, is though like uh, especially with the Link's Awakening remake, now everybody's avoiding spoilers. It, what are they? And okay. it's like this game has been out for twenty one years. Here's but, a fucking okay, spoiler. You know what? You wake up the windfish and the island disappears. Dude, you fucking spoiled it. <laughs> We're all dead. Yeah, but you gotta play the game to get there. But Marin might be a seagull. She might be a seagull. You don't like that's incredible speculation based off of a zero deaths run <laughs> yeah i'm going for that uh right now but that's another story okay. <laughs> so um and even corin to corn i feel like corn's like not smart as a character but corn has the full spectrum of emotions gets betrayed shows shock fear like, yeah. and all that stuff that byleth doesn't have corn yeah. seems like kind of a sheltered, stupid human being. Right. Yeah, a little bit. Like, Corrin was fine. I wasn't, like, over the moon about Corrin. Yeah, but Corrin but, but was She still... did the purpose. She was a character. Yeah. Or he, you know, however he did that, I don't know. Uh, she. Right, she. Let's be fair. <laughs> okay, yeah. We're, yeah. Both, we're both weird pervs or something. Actually, the first yeah, time I went through about. Awakening, uh, I was uh, male Robin, and then uh, I put it on hard mode, which was a bad idea, apparently, 
Because it's like for series veterans, I think, is the description it went with. And I was like, you know, I've played every American-released Fire Emblem. Maybe I can take it. And it kicked the shit out of me. So I was like, no, put it on normal. Normal is fine. I'm, I'm okay with going with normal now. Uh, so I went on normal, and then I was just wondering if there was any big differences between the male and female. And no, there's not. Except for you get to marry Krom. Yeah, you get to marry different people. That is literally the only difference. And I married Krom. Because he's a hunk. <laughs> hunka hunka. Um, so yeah, what about... Uh, speaking of Zelda again, what about Link? Because he's oddly a lot more likable of a protagonist than Byleth with little more emotion. Because he, he doesn't do a lot of emotion. He does some... Uh, but again, he's he's a completely silent protagonist. Has not said a thing in a thirty-year game franchise, and he's one of the most beloved characters of all time. Why don't we go through those games in order and talk about Link as okay. a protagonist versus Link as an avatar? Start day one, nineteen eighty-seven, The Legend of Zelda. In The Legend of Zelda, Link has like basically no personality like he has the thing where he lifts up the item and goes do 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 and he gets the smile on his face but that's about it as far as it goes so he's a a smile it's like two pixels next to each other it's just his mouth is open yeah i think so he's good maybe he's just going (laughs) (laughs) that'd be hilarious if the podcast listeners could see your face dumbass just has his mouth open and this like stupid oval (laughs) just expecting to like catch the drops from the Triforce falling right. into his mouth. But at the same time, in video games at that time, you know, like, nobody had any characterization except for Ryu Hayabusa. Cause, yeah. You know, Ninja, Ninja Gaiden had, had cutscenes, and nobody else did. <laughs> and then Zelda 2, pretty much the same thing. Link, yeah. uh, Link attacked people with his penis and apparently liked to sleep with prostitutes, but that's as far as it goes for personality. Yeah. All right. So. So that's probably uh, where. Excuse to the me. The past. Link to the past is. Uh. He doesn't really display a lot of emotion in that one either. Not particularly. Um. Again, he's you know still fulfilling largely just the avatar role. Uh. But I feel like there's more characterization than in the first two games, because like he's kind of going through, and you know he's he's always driven to do the right thing and it's shown also he has a gentle soul because he turns into a fucking bunny in the dark world yeah so there's more emotion right there than byleth yeah and it's all shown and not you know told to you it's it's something you he fills the avatar role perfectly well but all of the hints of personality he has are things that you could just totally ignore if you wanted to Mm -hmm. Link's Awakening Link's Awakening's kind of interesting. I feel like he... he Just through his interactions with Marin, he feels like he has more personality than he actually does. Yeah, that's true. Because, like, he never says anything again. You know, people are always responding to what he hypothetically might have said. But uh, he, he doesn't specifically have any lines. But again, it, it feels like he's still helping out in this world because he's going through the trading game and giving the bear a honeycomb and giving, uh, you know, Mr. Wright, who for some reason decided to take a vacation from Sim City, a picture of Princess Peach, which is really from a goat who's catfishing him. And then... 
Man, that was a run-on sentence. <laughs> he does also show a lot of uh, shows a lot more emotion in the pictures. Yeah, but... that's true, actually. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm really, really sad that those are gone from the remake. Uh, that's that's kind of lame. Yeah. Because um, those added, you know, just a little more characterization in it. It kind of painted Link almost as a little bit sillier than you would expect him from, like, any other canon Zelda game. Kind of like a Wind Waker Link or a Breath of the Wild Link. Yeah. Uh, maybe even sillier than Wind Waker Link. Certainly sillier than Breath of the Wild Link. Breath of the Wild Link has some silly moments. You know, standing on a Hinox's nose on his in his underwear. Or something. Or even, like, the dialogue. We'll, we'll get to him later. The, the, the dialogue is also, yeah. It's, it's, but again, there's no dialogue here. So it's, uh, yeah. In, in Link's Awakening, though, I feel like there's so much story kind of expressed, it, it, which is weird because there's not really that much story, but there's so much ex- story expressed through other things and just kind of imagining how Link would deal with them gets into your mindset playing the game. So it almost feels like Link has that personality there. Yeah. Because like when you're discovering this whole, oh, it's a dream. It's all the Windfish's dream. Uh, that's okay. You're you're kind of seeing that again. This is a little bit of an avatar kind of sense, but in the end, you know, Link has to give up the island with the girl he loves, with all of these people that he's met and relationships he's forged and everything, and he has to destroy that to get back to Hyrule. And that's like one of the most fucked up choices a person could make. It's kind of a gut punch. And the thing is, Link doesn't have to display that much emotion because a lot of the environment has a lot of... The environment and the people have enough personality to make you care about them, and because Link is such a blank slate Mm -hmm. that doesn't speak on his own, it's very easy to project onto him. Yeah. As opposed to Byleth, who talks and just, like, the things he says are, like, TV static... Right. That's again giving Byleth too much credit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time, Link. This is the one of those first games I think where you start to see Link display like personality and a few of those cutscenes. Yeah, especially since this is the first one with like real big animations in the Zelda series, and at the time it was like some of the biggest animations in gaming, you know, it's like this in Final Fantasy 7. And obviously Final Fantasy 7 was like worlds ahead as far as raw animation quality, but uh in terms of story, I actually prefer uh kind of just the way that Ocarina of Time told the story. Yeah, um like when he's on the bridge talk- talking to Sir- uh Sario. Uh the what he hesitates a bit and then runs off, mm. which is pretty good. Yeah, it's like he doesn't know if he wants to leave his childhood friend, his only home he's ever known, but he does so for the greater good. And I feel like that's really what you see of him through all of Ocarina of Time, is like he's pushing through because he knows it's the right thing to do again, which is kind of that core thing for Link. When he runs away screaming from the Gorons. Yeah. (laughs) That's also (laughs) hilarious, you know, and then he gets some weird silly moments like that, and is like, all right bring me down to earth again that's awesome when he when Ganon says which way did that horse go and he just pulls out his sword 
<laughs> right? Like, this little kid is going to stab this giant dude on top of a giant horse to death with a dinky little dagger. Right, yeah. Or the way he hucks away the fairy ocarina as soon as he finds the ocarina of time. Right, yeah. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask, he has... I feel like he has less of those kind of animated interactions, but more of the side quests uh, where he just gets to do good things for people. Mm. Um, like when he gets to resolve... Uh, the kind of, kind of like the uh, couple's side quest... Mm-hmm. Or the side quest where he cures the uh, Gaibdo father of, you know, being a Gaibdo. Yeah. Uh, so he's more of an avatar in this one, but in terms of, like, the actions you can take, it's back to Link's Awakening again, where it's you get to project onto him a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to actually springboard forward because I feel like we're kind of running into a lot of patterns here of, oh, Link is just a guy that does the right thing 99% of the time. Yeah. Which, to a point, would be a little cliche, but I'm going to bring us all the way back up to Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild actually kind of reveals a lot more of Link's personality than any other game. Uh, And part of the way that it does that is, again, you know, through cutscenes and stuff, the easy, normal stuff. He's, you know, helping out uh, all the champions and Zelda a hundred years ago fighting Ganon and all that. But in addition to that, then you get things like Zelda's Diary and the Diaries of the Champions that reveal a lot more of Link's characterization through there. And he's got all these quirks like, oh, he's completely silent all the time. You find out in Zelda's Diary, that's because he's got, like almost crippling social anxiety because he is the chosen knight of Hyrule to protect the princess and he's like just afraid that people will think less of him if he says the wrong thing so he just says nothing and I'm like that's actually a kind of a cool thing but even though he's not saying anything he will still go that extra mile to you know do what he needs to do in the hour he needs to do it I also like the since the game does give you dialogue options, they're pretty full of kind of Link's unrepressed personality. Yeah, a little bit. Where he just demands a reward from an old man. Right, yeah. Paraglider, please. (laughs) Like, treasure, please. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, that was also true in Wind Waker. Um, Had a lot of little... You know, it wasn't like just yes or no answers. It was like, like I remember there's one quest on Windfall Island where uh, this old guy comes up to you because his daughter got kidnapped and he wants to pay you to get her back, uh, which is actually a kind of an interesting sort of uh, thing because he's like this rich guy at the start and then he ends up like miserably poor because he spends all his money trying to find his daughter while the other guy ends up buying his house whose daughter was also kidnapped and they end up like obscenely rich 
And so these these two guys kind of switch places, which is kind of interesting. But, like, when he's asking you this, it's like, the first thing he asks you is, like, will you listen to my tale of woe? And you can say, yeah, sure, or, ew, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, nice. What a dick thing to say, Link. Wind Waker's interesting because Link has... Link displays a lot of emotion in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, Mostly his faces when he's are really of animated. Shot out of a barrel. Yeah, <laughs> that's some good ones. And and there's a lot of things when you know the boss comes out and he's like all shifty and scared. He's got a lot of different uh, emotive expressions that they animated in in the various scenes in that game, which is really cool. Is there any other Zelda game in the middle there that we skipped over that we need to specifically shout out to? I don't think so. Probably not the Oracle games. Yeah, the Oracle games were fine, but again, they they were a little bit back to the, you know, original few Zelda games where it's like there's not that much personality, but maybe a little here and there presented through dancing with Gorons. I feel like everybody kind of had less personality in Twilight Princess. Um, a little bit. They had they had different kinds of personality because I feel like it was trying to be edgy a little bit. Uh, and I feel like the story wasn't necessarily as well told as it could have been, kind of in yeah. retrospect. Which, it, it was a really good story, because uh, I, I really liked how Zelda was, like, trying to do the best thing for her kingdom. Uh, but she ended up going about that maybe in the silliest possible way, by just being like, yeah, okay, we surrender, you can have, you know, here's the keys to the castle, Ganon. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it, Zelda. <laughs> But, uh... Yeah, Mindo was the character who had a lot of the personality in that game. Yeah, that's kind of true. But also that one I kind of thought was like, you know, she's like this snarky little imp at first, and you don't think literally anything of her. And then she's like, oh, by the way, I'm the queen of the twilight. Like, what? (laughs) Why were you such a bitch at the start? (laughs) But yeah, it, it was kind of character growth but it was also kind of like radical shift of demeanor yeah in that game i feel like link didn't have much of a personality of his own but Mm. he was still idolized by a lot of the villagers which kind of came off weird to me because a little bit and then there's like almost this pseudo romance with him and Ilya, and then everybody like not everybody but like three people we're like, oh man, he really needs to get it on with Ilya. They're the perfect couple. And the rest of the internet is like, no, Ilya's a fucking rock. <laughs> like, like a, an actual rock would make a more suitable mate for Link. I mean, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> so are there any games uh, with uh, specifically great characters that you can think of too? that really went the extra mile to make the character great uh, while they still almost fulfilled an Avatar role if they needed to or where they completely just went away from fulfilling the Avatar and it's like, you're playing this character. It's a role-playing thing now. Uh, either way, uh, what's uh, I would one say, game you would give a shout-out? Uh, for Avatar role, I would say Undertale, but explaining why is full of spoilers. Oh, man. So... 
You're really trying to get me to play this game. <laughs> you should really play this game. I should. I feel like you're missing out. I probably am. Yeah. But, but I got so many games. But I bring it up so often that I won't bring that up again. Um, let's see. Other games where you play an avatar. I know that uh, the original Baldur's Gate, mm-hmm. your character, because they were custom designed by you, uh, and they could be any race, any class, and then any alignment. You got to choose their dialogue options and how they responded to things. They still kind of came off as their own character because they were a fucking smartass. Mm-hmm. Um, That's kind of a good kind of point there, especially in kind of RPGs uh, where you get to customize your guy a lot. Um, like uh, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. Where, like, you are this specific character, but there's so many ways to play him or her that it's like, how do you even go about that? But still, like, the base character in Knights of the Old Republic somehow comes across still as more interesting than Byleth because, especially because your dialogue choices matter. I think that's the big thing that sets it apart in that game because, really, you don't have very many expressions in that game either in the animations yeah but you have two or three dialogue options sometimes even more than that in every couple of sentences in every conversation in the game and every single one you pick influences the rest of the conversation and thereby to some extent the rest of the game uh why don't i just cut out the middleman and say pretty much all of the, at least the Bioware games up to Dragon Age, up to the first Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's like, oh, Commander Shepard. Uh, you can make him be any kind of Commander Shepard you want to be, Paragon, Renegade, uh, answer, uh, diff- do different things in how he demands answers or how he interacts with situations, but he's still like famous for punching the same reporter in the face three times. Nice. Reporter had it coming. So, Bioware is really good at making their avatar characters still have a personality in every situation. Right. And I feel like that's common in a lot of computer RPG games that are not the Elder Scrolls series. Mm hmm. Um, like the Fallout 1, Fallout's 1, 2, and Vegas. Right. Yeah, they were also pretty good at just kind of that, you know, you're a faceless guy, but, you know, you've still got personality somehow. Yeah. Particularly if you took the stupid I wouldn't say it was as good, but, uh, or as good for, you know, personality options, but it it was still, like, there was enough there that you could do your own thing. Uh, You got to characterize them. mm Mm-hmm. Kind of. And then... Yeah. So, they were responsive, and then the things you said were more than, yes, I will do this, or no, I will not do this. Mm-hmm. I feel like another kind of good Avatar character is Doom Guy. Because it's like, you don't need a personality, you just need to fucking rip spines out of demons. Yeah, but ripping spines out of demons is kind of a personality trait. That's true. Like... 
or you know listening to like where was some, he trained to do this shit? I don't know. He's listening to some dumbass tell him expose the info at him, and he just shoves the thing out of the way. Right. Yeah. New Doom comes out in November, and I have a bummer. <laughs> uh, yeah, so is there any non-Avatar character that you think really hit the mark? Where it's like, it's not really show, you know, putting you in control, but it's like still actually a really great character to play. This one's harder for me. Because I really go for the games with a lot of character customization. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go first, I suppose, then. Um, I'm going to say Final Fantasy IV. Okay. Because uh, you've got like this whole cast of characters, and you're basically walking them through the world and then seeing what they do. Uh, really, a lot of the Final Fantasy games you could probably say this about. Uh, Final Fantasy IV is just my favorite Final Fantasy game, and I like to shout it out every time I can. Um, Cecil's a good protagonist. Yeah, actually, he's a really good protagonist. He's got a lot of interesting things he goes through, you know, from the start of the game where he's, like, all Dark Knight, and then, uh, you know, just murdering people left and right, and then he's like, hold on, are we murdering people for the right reasons, or are we just stealing crystals and fucking up nature royally? Hold on, maybe I should question the king. <laughs> uh, and to further that, like I feel like every character in the game is also that good. I, d- I don't think there's a bad egg in Final Fantasy IV. Every single character you have has like almost a different motivation, but they all come together and for a common goal in the end. Maybe Edge is a little less interesting as a character if I was to say one was... But he's he's not bad. He's just kind of... Like, he kind of joins your party kind of midway through the game, and you're like, hey, I got a ninja now, I guess. What, what's his deal? <laughs> like, I don't even remember the I feel like there's a ninja. From. And he was, he was cool. In a lot of those games. Right, yeah. But he like but then you've got like Kane, who's the brother of Cecil, who, you know, uh Cecil betrays the king and Kane stays by his side. Uh but turns out, oh wait, Kane was just brainwashed and stuff. And but now Kane has all this horrible uh time kind of dealing with the fact that he was brainwashed and he was still, you know, murdering all these people and you know, lighting towns on fire in the name of something he didn't actually believe in. Or, uh, Tella dropping a meteor on a... On Golbez, yeah. On Golbez's face and then dying because he didn't have enough mana to cast it. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's things like that, too. The deaths in that game are some that get me more than any other game, because that one was a really important one, I feel like. And then, uh, I forget if it was after that. I think it was, uh, I think it was actually before that, because I think Tella actually reacted to this, uh, where um, you're in, like, uh, everybody gets trapped in this trap by the bad guys when you're trying to escape the bad guy castle, whichever whichever dungeon that is, I forget. But, um uh, so you're like trapped in a room and the walls are closing in and closing in and closing in and Palom and Poram 
go to the sides of the walls where they're closing in and they cast stone on each other and <laughs> and stop the walls from closing in but at the same time they're permanently turned to stone because they willingly turn themselves so like Tella can't even use Esuna on them and you know get them back to normal so and that was like a real shocker I felt like I mean yeah I mean who, who is expecting uh, two kids to, you know, go out of their way to kill themselves to stop a threat? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. It's, it's not... just full of, you know, little scenes like this where there's so much characterization. I fucking love it. Uh, so, I think I have an example of a char- of char- a few characters in, also in the Final Fantasy series that have more personality than Byleth, but I would still not characterize as good protagonists mm-hmm. and those characters would be uh, Squall and Lightning yeah yeah let's see was Squall from 8 or 10? Squall was from 8 8 okay 10 was the one where I didn't play as much of 8 uh, but yeah uh, Lightning was like kind of everybody was a little bit terrible in Final Fantasy Thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I didn't know what anybody's deal was in Final Fantasy Thirteen. Like I feel like Lightning's personality was just edgy. That's the only emotion that there was, which is admittedly more than Byleth. Yeah. But it's still it was only one emotion the whole time. Although it, we at least it wasn't as bad as Hope, whose only emotion was whiny bitch. What would, what emotion would you prefer? Which singular emotion would you prefer your character to have? Edge or wine? Edge. Or the sec or the section where you're playing both of them together, so it's just edge and wine all the edge time. Wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds awful. Yeah, that game was not very good. Uh, mm. I feel like Cloud in the Final Fantasy VII, despite his reputation today, actually avoided that. Hmm. Because just of all the goofy shit that happened around him, that kind of threw some of the serious, disaffected bullshit he was trying to uh, uh, play in sharp relief. Yeah. Like, when you're trying to bust into Don Corneo's mansion and, like, you know, you're thinking... You dress up as a girl. Yeah, you you have to dress up as a girl to do it. And but like at the same time, like you're you're dealing with some seriously fucked up shit here. Like this guy's running a prostitute ring. He's like selling women for sex, and you know probably for slavery. And you're trying to bust that up by fucking putting on a dress. <laughs> you know he brought he brought me back to his room. Nice. <laughs> you got that dress. Also, Cloud threatens to cut his balls off. Nice. I didn't. I didn't actually uh, get that one. I never f- got the because you have to get like just one specific dress or something in order to do that. I, I think, think you have to do everything perfectly. Yeah, uh, you have to get all the uh, all the best items. Yeah. Also, that's the and then you get the kinkiest cutscene. Also, the game where he's like freaking out about his past identity, and then a bunch of like gay burly dudes barge into his room and get in a hot tub with him. Nice. And, like, feel him up and make him really uncomfortable. I mean, later he gets to take Barrett on a date to the Gold Saucer. Yeah, if you play your cards right. 
<laughs> right? So, you know, we're all, we're all friendly here. We don't judge. <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy VI had some strong had strong characters, even if I was yelling at the screen at them at times for some of the shit they pulled. Yeah. Like, damn it, Tara, stop hanging around in the fucking village. Right. Tara was really interesting. Uh, I never got super far into Final Fantasy VI, but I really liked kind of the backstory and stuff. I always was kind of like, wonder. I'm not sure how far I got into. I don't know. Um, but yeah, and then uh, who is the thief guy? Uh, Locke. Locke, yeah. Yeah. He, he was always kind of interesting, too. Uh, but then again, they had some funny-ass situations, too. Like, when you have to steal the guard's clothing <laughs> to escape town. Uh, I think that's before the first time you fight Kefka, too. <laughs> all the... Yeah, all the... That's one of those games where you could say that there isn't really a main character. Yeah. All of them felt a little bit like the main character. It started with Terra, so I guess she's probably the she's kind of the main character. But, but there's then halfway a lot of story behind each other one as well. And then halfway through the game, you lose all the characters, including Terra, and you start over with Celes, uh, who you picked up uh, about a quarter of the way through the game. Mm-hmm. And then you get, I think you have to get. I'm trying to remember the guy, the name of the guy with the uh, airship. Mm-hmm. Sid? It's usually Sid. No, Sid was like an engineer in this one. Right. Sid was an engineer in Final Fantasy IV, too, and that was, like, great. Because yeah. the engineer class was amazing, because, you know, his engineer tools were his weapon. And by engineer tools, I mean a fucking hammer. He wasn't, he wasn't playable in this one. No, in this one, Sid was... After the in the second half of the game, you just play Zellas and you have to catch fish for Sid. And if you catch <laughs> not the right kinds of fish, he'll die. Wow. And then she tries to kill herself. Wow. And fails. Huh. And then she says, Oh, I think I ha- I see a light. I think I should go search for my friends now. And you go, Wow, this game is fucking dark. Yeah, what the hell, man? Poor Sid. Yeah. Poor, poor everybody. A little bit. Like, everybody gets screwed in that game. Yeah. So, um, I guess those are kind of some of our thoughts on how to make a good protagonist. Just don't, I, just don't make it Byleth. Make, that's, that's make 90% your protagonist... <laughs> if, you're, if you are going for a non-Avatar protagonist, um, make your protagonist, you know have actual human emotions and respond to things in, like, a relatable way. But, you know, also make don't make them a bitch. Yeah, and if it is an avatar, then, you know, add enough flavor that the player can actually use that it feels like them personified in the game. Like, I'll always be happier playing, like, an Adele-type character mm-hmm. from Disgaea 2. There, I had to plug a Disgaea. Adele was a good protagonist character. Sure, I'll take your word for it. I was meant to play more Disgaea. Yeah. I played one of them once for 20 minutes, and then I gave you the cartridge back. And I don't remember why. I think you asked for it. 
They'll probably ask for it back. Yeah. Or like, oh man, I've been like 20 minutes without this guy. I need my fix, man. <laughs> Me? If you can, make sure your characters are not one-dimensional in their emotions. Make sure they have, you know, like a range. Yeah. And also give them, like, some heroic traits so we have a reason to root for them. Yeah. And don't have them have their ass get kicked all the time. Like, some of the time is fine. Yeah, some of the time. Although, uh, it's funny, you specifically say that, and I I had a specific character, right, come to mind, was um, uh, Rex from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. That that was kind of... One of the things I have against JRPGs sometimes is that, like, you'll win an encounter, and then the cutscene will be like, Oh, you have defeated me for now, but oh, I'm I'm fine. I'm just gonna go. <laughs> I, I can easily kill you with all with my pinky, but not. Nah, I'm bored now. I'm gonna buy. I want and you're like, dude, come on! I just fucking like walked. I just walked all over that fight. I, I wiped play the floor with that JRPG. Bitch. Where a villain does that and they're clearly faking and they're like very injured and just trying to get away from you, <laughs> right? You're like, okay, sure, I'll see you. See you next. Kiss your ass that, next time. That was one of the biggest problems with Xenoblade Chronicles too. Is that happened all the time? It's like you, like I got to fights where literally I didn't even pay attention to grabbing potions in the middle of battle because my health never went down. That I noticed. So it, it probably went down occasionally, and then my healer put it right back up. But I like I would just sit there and spam one attack and kill this guy because I was over leveled or something. I don't know. I had a weird playstyle for that too until like almost the end of the game, because uh, that that's another funny story about Xenoblade Chronicles too. Is it's very bad at telling you how the combat system works. And so I tooled the combat system to where I would do as much damage as possible, just spamming one attack. And so... uh, I got you through 99% of the game? It did. I got actually to the the, uh, second-to-last chapter, and the boss at the end of that chapter, like, I would get him down to about three-quarters of his hit points, and then his combos would just be completely... I couldn't deal with them at all. Like, I would be taking so much damage so quickly that there is no way I could do anything about it. And then I was like, what is going on here? And I I looked up, like, a YouTube video, and it's like, uh, you know, oh, hey, you need to pay attention to all these things. And I'm like, what are all these things? Because it, like, it, it explains the combat system to you very briefly, but... Uh, and then it doesn't... Or it, it's... There's a couple of the more complex aspects of the combat system that it I feel like is just like here's a wall of text that's not as descriptive as you need it to be have fun with that (laughs) so like literally I've talked to other people that played this game and they were like yeah in order to figure out the combat system I had to look it up on YouTube (laughs) and so I'm like that's a little weird but you know I got through most of the game just on my own anyway without understanding the full extents of the really the big thing is your combos with your because if you can get combo attacks with all of your uh party members you can deal like i uh when i finally ended up beating that boss i got him to like half of his health and then i used my combo attack that i think did 
literally like three times more damage than he had health to begin with. Wow. <laughs> it was hilarious. And I was like, oh, is that how this game works? <laughs> so the game was so easy that you just... <laughs> right. I mean, it wasn't hilariously easy, but it would... There, there. Basically, there was just a point where you had to play it the way that the game wanted you to play it, rather than doing your own thing. Because you could, because I had like items that made me better at using my level one uh, attack. Attack, which instead of saving up your, basically, if you use your level one attack, then next time you can use a level two attack or something. And I had it just set up that I could do my level one attack all the time, so I could do that a lot more quickly than I it would take to get all the way to a level two or a level three combo. And because I could do it more quickly, and because I had items that made that one do more damage, I was doing more total damage per second than I ever did paying attention. But if you pay attention to those combos, and you do like a level 1 combo, and then a level 2 combo, and then a level 3 combo, then it can uh, like give your the opponent like weaknesses versus your uh, combo attack. So that's kind of how you're supposed to do it is you stack all these weaknesses on him and then you use a combo attack that does extra damage against all those weaknesses huh yeah i do have one more character from a game i like to point out and then i'm ready i'm ready to move on and then we can go to our tabletop and that would be brad from lisa the painful where brad is like in drug addict uh, junk, junkie father to an adopted his adopted daughter, the only adopted girl woman in the world that they know of, because all the women died in some apocalyptic event that nobody really clearly explains to you. Yeah. Uh, so he's on a quest to get her back, uh, and as you go throughout the game, you realize just kind of like his while his motivation is good, he's not he's not exactly what you'd call a good person and he's willing to do some pretty terrible things in pursuit of getting her back hmm neat but so he's both he's both somebody you're like wow he's fucked up and then you're like yeah I'm happy he's the protagonist it's the best kind yeah I have, I have that with TV more than I do with video games. I feel like that doesn't come up quite as much in the video games I play, but uh, in certain TV shows it kind of is like that. Like uh, the Punisher series on Netflix. Yeah. Because Punisher is not a particularly nice guy. You know, you know? But has a very somewhat loose set of morals. But at the same time, he's the right guy for the situation. Or like a Judge and Dredd they, type. Yeah, Judge Dredd is actually a really good uh, kind of example of that. I love Judge Dredd just in general. I love the old... Mo- actually, my introduction to him was with a video game. Was the they, uh, There was a original Game Boy uh, Judge Dredd game. Uh, it's like this side-scroller where you just like run around and shoot guys. And, uh, the levels almost felt like Mario-style levels, but your, uh, your guy was like twice as tall as Mario with a gun. <laughs> I would change things a bit. 
Yeah. Uh, so it was pretty fun. And then later I was introduced to the Sylvester Stallone movie, and then the, the new one with Carl Urban was actually really cool, too. I like I liked all the Judge Dredd. I've always wanted to get into the comics, but I never get into comics most of the time because, you know, time and money largely are issues yeah. with comics. Comics. Especially when there's probably, like, a giant-ass backlog that I would have to read to get caught up. There's a giant backlog, and comics are expensive and really not that durable. Yeah. Like, I feel like I could misplace them somewhere, and they would get, like, wrinkled and torn up and shit. Yeah, and then it'd be, like, worth a fraction of what you paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yep. Anywho, so I guess we can move on to our table topic now. How to get a party to come together that works well with all the characters. And I've got a few solutions for them. One of them is the cop-out, where I say don't. Just say they just make their characters, and you say, okay, you guys are working together for reasons. You know what? That's got us to, you know, start a lot of campaigns. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's workable, and you just say, I know you guys have no reason to work together, but just go with it, uh, and you'll iron out your differences, or you'll have interesting inter-party conflicts that'll kill some of you, assuming that your players are, you know, adults and are cool with that. Right, yeah. Because, um, to an extent, I think interplayer uh, issues can be really kind of fun. Uh or I guess inner character issues, inner, inner player issues would be you know that that could be awkward. I, but inner character issues uh, between two PCs uh, can be really fun to role play. I think um, I was actually just talking to uh, Peyton about this. Peyton was on our podcast. Uh, actually, that's been a while ago. He was going to come last week and then he couldn't at the last minute. So damn you, Peyton. But, damn you, Peyton. Uh, yeah, uh, recently I was talking to him about two of our characters in a session that Owen ran. Um, uh, one of my characters, Silas Blackblood, was this necromancer. And, uh, you know, I'm all raising zombies all over the place and uh, this kind of stuff. And, and, of course, Peyton's playing a paladin. He's like, this is all kind of sketchy. You know what? For now, I'm not going to do anything because i got to admit, it's effective. But... Like, it was funny, because talking to him, like, both of us kind of imagined that our characters would be butting heads at some point, and, like, I actually went out of my way to establish a contingency plan for when he inevitably decided that, oh, nope, Silas is too evil, I'm gonna kill him. <laughs> so I was like, I was, like, strategizing in my head, like, okay, so I put this zombie here first, and this zombie here first, while I'm just running the fuck away. Because if he touches me, I'm gonna fucking die. <laughs> You know, cast a couple of buff spells on myself, and maybe if I get far enough away, start shooting him with some ranged spells as I'm running. But never give up on that, you know, just just get out of this situation, because bad shit is going to happen. Just run away from the guy who just melts evil by touching it. Yeah, because I happen to be, uh, that. <laughs> Silas was actually really good for the uh, inter-party conflict for a lot of characters. Mm. I'm thinking of a... We actually had a really good inter-party conflict um, between Turol and Silas after... Cause, uh, Both before and after death. Yeah. Because... <laughs> um, do you want to tell the story? Uh, so before death? Before death, Turol was... They were 
I, when alignment is used, I usually tend to treat it as kind of a guideline for how to play, but Silas and Tural were kind of opposites alignment-wise, but they tended to work... They had very conflicting ideologies, but they tended to work reasonably well together because their goals were the same. Yeah. Um, it's kind of how Silas worked a little bit anyways, is he found people that, who, that their goals were the same or close enough to in line. He was a little bit manipulative, uh, which was actually also kind of fun to play, uh, especially when we were getting into like NPCs and things. And I actually ended up like working my way into a semi-high-ranking government official position. Because <laughs> you could be trusted with it and not drop the ball. Yeah. Uh, but then I think Turl misjudged some situation and fucking died. And then he got raised as a revenant by Silas. And that's when the trouble started is because... Uh, yeah, evil Turl was nowhere near as cooperative as good Turl. Yeah, because I thought that was like, okay, that'll be good. He's, he's a useful minion. But um, he was, you know, a little bit unstable. <laughs> and so we came to a point where uh, uh, Silas actually got possessed by some sort of a spirit. And the spirit could take damage if whoever it was possessing took damage. And so Turl said, oh, I'm going to just crack Silas over the head with my baseball bat. <laughs> so Turl broke out of Silas's control and jumped at him and beat him into unconsciousness. Yeah, and then luckily I had recently acquired an undead cleric who could uh, cure my wounds with uh, inflict wound spell. And he got me back up. Uh, after I had got unconscious, though, the ghost had come out, so we killed the ghost. Uh, but then I, uh, like, as soon as I got back up, I was, like, immediately judging this uh, mistake I had made. And I think the I think I told you, you have proven yourself as more of a liability than an asset. And I just, like, destroyed you in, I think, a couple of spells. Yeah. It, you you unloaded it on me because you were a walking army at that point. Yeah. And uh, that's how Turl met, it, met his uh, second death. Yes. Mud, it healed me up right before the boss fight. Because <laughs> I used the, some sort of crazy vampiric spell that could suck out your hit points even though you were undead. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, Thanks for the hit points, buddy. I, I, think, I think one of the, my favorite things is to see is the... Uh, Something akin to the Legolas Gimli bromance, mm -hmm. you know, player party. That would be kind of interesting. You know what's funny is I actually thought for a while um, when we were playing that campaign with Silas, um, I had a couple of unique situations where I had to save Josh's character, uh, <laughs> who was uh, this uh, female like fire mage, and I thought it would be hilarious if I like started hitting on her. Like, partially because I think it would be interesting to role-play an inter-party uh, inter romance situation, and partially because I think Josh would be so fucking awkward about role-playing that with me. He'd just be like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it would have been funny as hell to role-play that with Josh specifically. Because I feel like Josh would have never taken it seriously at any point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's see. 
What was the original topic? <laughs> How to get a party to come together that works well with all the characters. Oh, uh, so... Inter-party so conflicts. Yes, not... that's definitely how to do it. Yeah, that can be a way. Just, just all of your party characters need to be romantically linked with one another and you... just, like, have orgies every night. You can do that. That's an option. <laughs> but what you can do is... Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, an outlet of people who prefer the uh, kind of fiasco-style bonds or, like, a random table of, I roll on this, this is how I know this guy. We rolled war buddies. That's actually kind of cool. I'm going to make a table like that. Yeah. Okay. I need more D100 tables, don't I? Yeah, you do. I just have fun making D100 tables. D100 tables are great. Yeah, because they can do so much stuff. I've, I've been enjoying making my tables. Mm. <clears throat> I have a D100 magic items table. Cool. You can find that on. I have a D10,000 pub name generator. I tried using that, <laughs> and I was going for a more grounded campaign, so... <laughs> so it was like, I, the stupid shitty octopus was not like a good na- tavern name. <laughs> I was like, okay, Why I can't not? use this. I was like, <laughs> I, I can't use this one if I'm going for a really serious world. <clears throat> Reroll. Reroll. I mean, admittedly, most of the things on there will not be good for a serious world, but, but they sound like pub they are, names. They are pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... So, I, yeah, getting party members to come together, I sometimes I just sweep it under the rug a little like you do. Oh, you're all together for a reason. And sometimes I just throw them into a pub, and then I throw the situation at them. And then... Tyler murders some orcs playing darts. <laughs> or he tries to. Yeah, come on, Tyler. What the dick? Yeah. But yeah, I, a lot of times I, I just kind of hoist the situation upon the players. Uh, rather than trying to get the players to find the situation. I'm like, oh, you're in the pub. And, you know, some guards bust in and they're looking for a ruffian... Uh, who looks mysteriously like one of the PCs, or, you, you know, they start roughing up some random guy who, as far as you can do tell, has done no wrong. Or orcs come in and they're robbing the bar, or, you know, you're you're on a ship and you get, uh, you know, blindsided by pirates, or, you know, different weird shit. Or a guy comes Shanghai into the pub and he says, hey, you want to go smuggle some drugs? <laughs> and the answer to that... When a man asks you if you want to smuggle some drugs, kids, the question, the, the answer is yes. <laughs> I've used that adventure like five times. Yeah. So, uh, some of the good ways to just get a party together are you all wake up in jail together, or you were all shanghaied on a boat together, or just anything where they don't really have a choice but to work together. Mm-hmm. And because presumably your players at the table are like adult human beings who understand that the other people uh, want to play in the same group together, they'll find a way to make themselves stick together after the initial adventure. Yeah, because I feel like when people are trying to roleplay what they're doing, if you put the situation in front of them, or a situation, then they're going to roleplay as it, right? Because mm-hmm. that's their kind of mindset. They're like, okay, what, do, what does my character do now? I'm going to... 
you know, however they react to it, they, in most cases, just end up working together. And whether that's immediately when you introduce uh, the situation or shortly thereafter, you know, after the initial situation is taken care of by one or two of the player characters, but then the ramifications thereof have to be dealt with now, then some of the other player characters can step up or something like that. That that happens, I feel, a fair amount. Uh, and that works pretty well. Um, I was going to say something else, and then I forgot what it was, so I have to drink. But I'm out of booze. Mm. Ah, a little more IPA. Mm. Mm. It's yours now. <sighs> Juicy. Yeah, I, I, I warmed up to that IPA. I think I'd bring it up to a 13. All right. It is very juicy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so I do have... But yeah, then... Uh, so if they... They will either then work together or if this person has created a character who really doesn't want to work with these players, characters, for some reason, then I guess... Okay, you go away and do something else. Pl- roll a new character. Yeah, I'm not going to DM that. I'm DMing this, where 90% of the play is. I'm not going to, you know, I think there's... That's an, another topic for another day. Is there ever a point where you should not acquiesce to the player's desires? And it, I think my position on that is going to be pretty obvious. Is Yes, it's when it detracts from the actual play experience of the other players. Yeah, but I feel like we could go into that. Well, that, that should be so, its own yeah, topic. I'm going to put that on the end of the document here. What did I just... How did I word that? Is there a correct time to not acquiesce to player desires? Yes. Uh, not acquiesce... Is this the time where we realize that we no longer know how desires. to spell acquiesce? Uh, well, I was thinking about it, and uh, according to Google Docs, I seem to have spelled it correctly. So, oh, wow. Yeah. First try on everything. Yeah, cool. Nice. Um, which is a little impressive, because I've been up since five in the fucking morning, and I'm drunk. <laughs> I'm not that drunk, but, like, you know, slight buzz off of that uh, whatever. That, I, I feel like this is sugary as shit, and I'm going to have a terrible-ass hangover in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> is that why you do? That's why I that's why I drank about three sips of that. I was like, this is really good, but I need to. I have like responsibilities. Yeah, that if I, I had drank like of. one of those, I think it would have been probably better. But then I drank both of them, and now I'm drinking the rest of this IPA. Uh, another way I'm that uh, in my most recent campaign that I'm running for a different another group. Um, You're cheating on me. I am cheating on you. Well, I, it's not I mean, like you've been, been cheating on me for years. For years. <laughs> like, it's not a secret. The whole town knows about it. Right, yeah. I'd uh, come and play with you, but Sundays are bad for me. Yeah. Anyway. You would make, you would, you would would be good in that group. Uh, but basically, I created this kind of pseudo-medieval world where you have, like, the church, the nobles, peasants, at kind of with a very solid social structure mm-hmm. and then I was just letting the characters roll up whatever but most of them decided to join the church and be basically paladins in the church hmm. so it actually 
was very easy for me for at, to have an explanation for why this group of people was working together, and it also gave them a pretty strong default quest to start out with. Yeah, that works. So, um, anything where... And, and this happened spontaneously. I didn't require this of them in my game. Uh, but it's something you can think about doing as like, oh, you were all, you're all nuns in a cuck, uh, in a convent. Uh, you're all, you're all nuns in a, what is it, covenant? Convent? Sure. I'm not sure. No, no, I'm not a nun. Well, I'm not a nun either. Let's uh, find some nuns and play D&D &D with them. Yeah, I bet they'd enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> On the next episode of Drink to the Past. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're a nun, we would love to play D&D &D with you. Yeah. <laughs> Hit me up on Twitter, and we will get that happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll even say fuck a lot less. Basically anything where your players, where you tell your players, all right, when you create your characters, they're part of this organization, and they need to have a decent reason for being part of this organization. Some might say that's constraining players' freedom, but... If it makes the game overall better, that can that's fine in some instances. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good idea, too, when you're, you know... Because, like I was kind of saying, you kind of put the situation upon them. Uh, if you can do that before play even begins, uh, that can be even better. Because they can, uh, in some cases, I'm sure. Because they can work with that in the way that they're making their character. This is an inherent part of their character. Uh, oh, one where they're all part, part of the same noble family? Mm -hmm. It doesn't stop in our party romance from happening. It just means that you're going to look like the Habsburgs. Okay, so in our next campaign, you and me are going to get it on. And we're going to be brothers. And we're going to give birth to a son. Twice. Even though we're brothers. One time I'll be the mother. He's going to have one single testicle, black as coal, shriveled heart the size of an acorn, <laughs> head filled entirely with water. I'm, I'm just I'm just making fun of this one guy's autopsy now. <laughs> that poor bastard. He was very inbred. Mm. He lived till he was 30 somehow. Wow. I wish we could hire Owen Wilson to say wow for us. Wow. 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 We're not that fancy. Yeah, no, we're not that great. All right. Um, so is there anything else on this topic that you'd like to touch on? Uh, mostly that getting a functioning party together is... You can... Just so long as you have an idea of how you're going to go about it as a guy running a game, you can be as explicit as, you guys are all working together on this, as explicit and direct it and metagame as you guys all work together on this, I don't care how, figure it out. Or say, okay, you're all part of this organization, or you're all thrown in this situation together, or you have this group of bonds, we're all on this bonds table. Yeah, uh, I think the only last thing I'll say about it is, uh, don't be a dick about it. Yeah. You know? Like, if one character is, like, really not into it, or, you know, or one player is really not into it for whatever reason in their character or something then allow them at least the chance to come up with a reason why they're working with the PCs in spite of their non-committal to 
you know, whatever If they're playing situation. Shadow, the loner ninja who always works alone, well, he needs to have a reason to work with the party for this time. Or, you know, hit him over the head with a rolled-up newspaper until he doesn't. <laughs> right. Say... I'll be that paper mage again. Yeah. It keeps coming up somehow. I think that's a Dan thing. Usually, yeah. Uh... The only paper mage I remember was from this old anime. Give him a dog collar. And then you say sit boy. And then you say sit boy. And then Shadow the Ninja is now someone's dog. That poor bitch. Poor bitch. I don't feel bad. Flair should have rolled up a character that worked with other characters. Alright, Chris brings the thing. Alright. Uh, what you got for us today? Full Metal Plate Mail. It's basically a slight rewording of the original D&D rules yeah. from the three little brown booklets. Plus I was kind of hoping for stuff. like a medieval version of Full Metal Jacket. That would be cool as fuck. That would be like very different than this. But it's got all like the weirdness of mm -hmm. original D&D up to and including things like Martians. And... Mm -hmm. One of the things I noticed reading through this book, even though I like it quite a lot, is that uh, there's quite a few kind of funny typos in it. Like, mm -hmm. the Chimera has an alignment of Chimera. <laughs> nice. Alright. It's a very simple presentation. It's got quite a lot of unique monsters. It's got the things like you know, four-armed Martians with ray guns, which mm -hmm. is a very OD&D thing and not really seen in much else in Or you could D &D. play a Bobbit. You could play a Bobbit. Whatever the fuck that is. Is that like a Hobbit? Yeah, it's a halfling. Okay. Bobbits can become fighters in advance up to level four. Oh, yeah, it's definitely got the level caps from uh, OD&D, <coughs> which... Hmm. Some people have made arguments for level caps, and I'm just like, eh. Hmm. I don't remember them too much. I think I've only ever played, like, first level kind of versions of, you know, first edition and stuff like that. Yeah. Old-ass adventures. I haven't played a lot, because it's just, a, like, every now and then when one of the DMs in my old playgroup got a wild hair, he'd be like, hey, I got my first edition books. Everybody make a guy. <laughs> and then you didn't need to worry about having the level cap because you'd be dead long before then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it seems to be actually pretty streamlined as well because it's not a very big book, but it says it's a complete uh, rule set. So is this everything you would expect from like a core rulebook for D&D? Uh, not everything you'd expect from, say, like, AD&D, but mm -hmm. in terms of the original brown booklets, it's actually got... I see a bunch of monsters in the back here, so it's like, at least got your decent amount of monsters that would be in your... It's got thing. the entire game, it's got the entire, pretty much the entire rule set from the three little brown <laughs> booklets, plus a little extra in there. Right, so it's roughly your core rules... Uh, in terms of D&D. Yeah. Roughly, it's your combined Dungeon Master Guide, Player's Handbook, and Monster Manual. But all kind of in one book, and a little more streamlined than 
might otherwise be. And as just like a simplified, neat, uh, neat kind of system, it's one of okay. those things I like to pull out and look at. Like, oh, it has the castle building rules and the taxation rules all on one page. Yeah, it's uh, very I like it because it's it seems to generally be very straightforward and simple. Uh, it doesn't look like it would be, take very long to do anything. Like, this book is, like, a quarter the size of the regular player's handbook for, like, 3.5. Yeah, let me... Uh, it is actually shorter than my game's rulebook, uh, clocking in at, uh, 96 pages, mm -hmm. where my, uh, Five Cataclysms, Five Cataclysms clocks in at about 128 pages. Mm -hmm. Um, so... It's definitely something you could read in an afternoon and just take and play with. Yeah. So that's kind of got that going for it. Um, yeah. Is it quite as imbalanced as old D&D &D games Oh, fuck were? yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah you play a cleric or you play a wizard, and you hire help to be the fighters. <laughs> fighters are the help. Yeah. But fighters are broken. They can attack twice in a minute. Fighters can <laughs> attack uh, a number of times equal to their level against uh, against normal men. Ah. And otherwise they have one attack per round. Hmm. Just like everybody else. So they kick the living fuck out of normal men. Yeah, like... Against any monster, they're boned. Yes. <laughs> Good old... Balance. The the balance in that game was that fighters were the only ones that could use magic swords, mm. which was not a balancing factor when wizards could some conjure an <coughs> elemental and have a fire elemental burn a hydra to death. Yeah, or a cleric could launch a finger of death at the hydra and kill it instantly. Yeah. So yeah, it's got that imbalance, but. There's a certain purity to it that I like. Cool. Why would you rate this on a scale of 3 to 17? Uh, I'd rate it a 14. I think it's a pretty good slimming down and um, clarifying of the original rules booklets. Uh, rap. It's just got... I like it because it's OD&D, but I also dislike it because OD&D had some noticeable issues with fighters not being worth much at later levels. Right. Which was as severe in this as it is in 3.5. Yeah. Fighters just always kind of get the shaft. Yep. Especially at later levels. But, um, yeah, because like at, at low levels you can almost make up for it with your higher hit points, but still probably not. Yeah, it's like at first level, level one mage. In three point five, it's it's like oh what, what, I have a high intelligence score. So what, two spells am I going to cast today? Right. And the fighter can just stand and, it, they can kind of. Do the niche protection thing, but at twentieth level, the fighter can attack a whole four times around, and then the mage can, you know, wish reality was different and have that happen yeah and then have several hundred spells 
I've been meaning to have a talk with you about that. Oh. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I think that's about all covers that. Uh, so, yeah, looks like an interesting book. Uh, so if you're interested in that, full metal plate mail. Um, you can pick that up on Lulu. Cool. I don't know what that is. It's like a print-on-demand service. Cool. I was looking for some lightweight OD&D-ish rules. You weren't looking for porn again? I mean, I don't buy porn. Right. But, I mean, for print-on-demand. I mean, I can get print-on-demand porn, but then I'd have to store it physically. Right. Somewhere. When I could really just buy, like, another short. That would be cooler and probably more useful when those zombies come. So I just bought another short. Neat. It's real. It's easier to jerk myself off with that. Uh-huh. We should plug ourselves before we. Yeah, I was gonna say we. You know, eventually we need to get to the random bullshit. But for now, uh, we will plug ourselves. My name is Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. As always, I'm your host of the Drink to the Past podcast. Um, which I always thought that maybe I should call it the Drink to the Past podcast because, you know, podcast rhymes with Drink to the Past. But then I was like, drink I've never actually done it. Usually I just say the podcast or Drink to the Past. It kind of fits like a meter. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't and know. I maybe am maybe Chris we'll cannot it. hold his liquor, Audette. Yep. You can find me on. <laughs> Drive through RPG under the publishing name Five Cataclysms, me and my co-author. I released a uh, module uh, pay for Pay What You Want, House of Flowers. You can pick it up. It's got a big D100 table of totally unique magic items in the back. Uh, if for no, no other reason, you should pick it up because of that. I also co-authored Five Cataclysms Core Rules Beta Edition, which is like a very OD&D-ish thing, so if you played that... You can also pick pick that up for pay what you want. Uh, and my co-authors also released a bunch of very good adventure modules, dungeons that you can just pick up and plop down in your world anywhere and play through them because they're good. And also I'm hoping to release at least one more module before the end of this year, which I will start plugging on this podcast once it's released. Yeah, and uh, you can catch me on the Twitter usually at SpamOmanOspam, and uh, I do stuff there. I also write articles for TwoGuysPlayingZelda.com. You can check out that website. Got all sorts of Zelda-related stuff, uh, fan content. They got a store now, which has all sorts of uh, Zelda merchandise, uh, whatever kind of... You know, Zelda-like things you're looking for. You can find that on the Two Guys Playing Zelda store. Uh, you can also find my articles there, as well as a lot of other fan pieces. We got some fan fictions put up. We got some uh, various review articles and things like that. My latest is a review of Cadence of Hyrule, which is late as shit, but it's there. Uh, and my next upcoming piece will be a review of the remake of Link's Awakening. And it's not quite as traditional a review as some of my reviews on there, but uh, it's more or less just going to kind of go over the biggest differences between the original game and uh, just kind of go like, all right, this is, uh, here's what's new, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. Uh, so it's, uh... I think it's going to be interesting, and I'm going to be a lot more prompt about that than I was about the other one, because Cadence of Kyrule came out, like, three months ago. Yeah, huh. Yeah. I got, a, I got kind of, like, 
clusterfucked by school starting because now both of my kids are in school and one of them's never been in school before and one of them has never been in full day school before because preschoolers do like a two or three hour class in the morning usually or if afternoon one or the other and it's like it's not very long so now that he's at school for the whole day it's like a big change for him and the other kid is like a big change going to school at all so it's been like hard to write articles and stuff so it's it's been trying times trying times indeed yeah. i haven't even played rage 2 in like a month big changes yeah. but i've been playing lots of uh link's awakening and uh fire emblem so that, that kind of works i think i would pick up <coughs> link's awakening before i picked up the new fire emblem still yeah um if you were gonna pick up one or the other i would say link's awakening okay because but that's it's it's partially game, coming I never, from a guy that Link's Awakening is like, you know, in my top five games of all time. Uh, and that's never, that's one that I've lately after I've since I've been going back to this remake, I'm like flip flopping a little bit on whether or not I even like it better than Breath of the Wild, uh, which I think eventually I'm probably going to settle on Breath of the Wild still being better but maybe i won't i don't know because now that i'm playing it again i'm like seeing all of the great thing and then the remake like everything that's great about the original is like even better and streamlined and it's just a lot more accessible and it feels more like a modern game you know uh it doesn't feel quite as dated which link's awakening isn't it's got like a couple of things that feel dated that really age it and most of the rest of it is fine does it still have the color dungeon? Yes. Ah, uh, that was uh, taken ac- taken across to the remake. Interesting. So that's pretty cool. I uh, actually just completed that earlier, right before you came over. Is that difficult to complete if you're colorblind? Um, I mean, if you were completely colorblind, maybe. Um, I don't know, because I actually completed it on the original Game Boy, <laughs> which did not have a color screen. Um, so on the oh. original Game Boy, like all the blue stuff would be slightly darker than the red stuff, or the red stuff I think was darker than the blue stuff. So I couldn't tell if it was actually supposed to be red or blue because it's a Game Boy screen and everything is fucking green. Uh, so, but I, I did manage to complete it, you know, because you can tell the kind of shading of it is different. And you can still tell what stuff is supposed to do. And it's a it's a fairly short dungeon. I think it's shorter than every other dungeon in the game, except maybe the first dungeon, Tail Cave. Yeah. Uh, it's not very long at all. And the color puzzles are, are simple enough that also I feel like even if you couldn't tell what you were... You, even if you couldn't tell the colors at all, like it wouldn't take you that many tries to do the opposite thing to figure it out anyway. So you, it's just kind of... You, you can guess your way through it. Yeah. Even if you can't tell the colors. Yeah, if you had to, I, I don't think it... Because there's like... Most of the time it's red and blue and there's a couple of places where it's red, blue, and yellow. So it's... It's not that complicated. It's a pretty easy dungeon. Okay. I will... I'll have... I have to pick up the new Zelda. Yeah. After, there's a lot of games on that list. Yeah. But this one is, is one that I would definitely... Especially if you liked it on the Game Boy, it's definitely one to go back to. 
and it's easier to go back to it on this one than it is on the original Game Boy. Do you listen to a lot of podcasts? Handful. Have you listened to any really good podcasts lately? Yeah. <laughs> Care to expand? Like this one? Oh, like this one? Yeah, we're great. Yeah, we're Check great. us out. Uh, yeah, I, I keep up regularly with um, uh, Game Explain podcast uh, Real Talk. Um, plugging them accidentally oh. twice in one day. I thought you were going to... I thought, I thought you were going to say real talk, and we were going to have like an intense conversation there for a second. Oh, yeah. yeah. Would you like to have an intense conversation, Chris? Oh. I've been listening to Game Explain. I've been listening to Medieval History for Fun and Profit. Neat. And every once in a while, they just describe something from the Middle Ages where I was like, no human... I'm like, how does a human being come up with this shit? <laughs> like the one Human where, beings come up with a lot of weird shit. Yeah, but there's one where there was a woman who got sainted um because there was like a repulsive person it was like middle ages and there's like diseases and shit going around there's like this woman apparently was there to care for the sick because they stink so bad that no one else wanted to and she had like pockets of pus on her face and so the saint apparently (laughs) decided that it was like a good idea to drink the pus out of her face kinky and she ba- said, never in my life have I tasted anything so sweet. <laughs> Even more kinky. I also listen to the Zelda Dungeon podcast. <laughs> uh, gross. <laughs> yeah, a little I, bit. I, I, I could go for a listen to that. Yeah, and the Nintendo Power podcast is actually pretty fun usually as well. They're only once a month, uh, but it's uh, the old editor-in-chief of Nintendo Power magazine hosts it, and he's got, you know, usually two other people from somewhere in Nintendo talking about uh, whatever the latest thing is. So that's pretty cool. Oh, cool. Like, Nintendo Power is always a good magazine. Yep, I miss it. I went over to my parents' house, and I found my old one of my old Nintendo Powers with Skyward Sword on the cover. You can see up in there corner of my desk over there case I'm cool yeah I had forgotten that Skyward Sword came out so long ago that Nintendo Power was still in print why really I, I mean it, it oh yeah I guess it did come out on he's on the cover the it must have been yeah yeah uh, cause Skyward Sword doesn't feel that old but there's kind of been a long time between stuff cause Skyward Sword was 20 2012, 2012, 12, 11, 12. I don't remember. One of those. Uh, so, yeah, it's. Uh, Did it come out one. while I was going to Red Rocks? Uh, yeah, it come I must out have. While you were going to Red Rocks. Yeah, it did. Okay. Yeah. That was a while ago. Yeah. That was eight years ago. Yeah. I think 2011 was. Uh, Ocarina of Time 3D, so I think 2012 was Skyward Sword. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Because it was all awkward when I bought my 3DS, and then I was like, I want to get Ocarina of Time with it, and he was like, Ocarina of Time doesn't come out for three months. And I was like, I thought it was a launch title. That should have been a launch title. It should have been. 
Why did they keep Ocarina of Time the same, but change Majora's Mask 3D so much? I don't know. Because, like, some of the changes I'm cool with. And some of the changes I'm like, that's fucking stupid. And some of the changes I'm like, that's fine, but why? Was there a reason for that? No. (laughs) You know, because, like, the saving system admittedly was a pain in the ass. I am good with hard save points at owl statues. That was a good fucking idea. And the rest of them, I'm like, what the fuck, bro? (laughs) You know, the eyeballs, it's like, in the bosses, it's like, why? Why does all the uh, bosses have eyeballs? Why did they make all the boss fights worse? Yeah. And then, like, Stone Tower Temple, like, all the other temples are just the same. But Stone Tower Temple has, like, three puzzles that are just changed for no reason. Why? <laughs> Did they want me not to use my old versus strategy guide? The, Maybe. The one where, like, text would continue off the end of the text box and outside the walls of printed time and space? Huh. Cool. I have a... Actually, I have a few strategy guides for Twilight Princess, but I got the Collector's Edition guide for Twilight Princess HD, which uh, is just a hardcover version of the regular one. But uh, it's funny, because I have also the old guide from the original Twilight Princess, and they're literally... They just reprinted the whole guide with, like, minor changes here and there. They switched out the screenshots for... Screenshots from Twilight Princess HD instead of the original... And, uh, like, they, I'm pretty sure that was it. Uh, And they added a small couple of, like, there was little changes here and there, like, when you could get the ghost lantern, because there's a lantern that lights up when you're close to a Poe that you can get in this one. So it it makes Poe hunting slightly easier, but it's still kind of a pain in the ass, because it has to be at night. It's weird. But, uh, but anyways, uh... Yeah, it was funny, because, like, I'm looking at these guides, and as far as I can tell, they're, like, exactly the same, uh, except for a few little key details like that. Uh, but then I uh, I was actually trying to 100% the game again, uh, and I'm just using the guide for the last few heart pieces, and uh, one of the heart pieces, it says, is on top of... I forget if it's the Great Bridge of Hylia or the Bridge of Elden. It's one or the other the heart piece is on top of, but the guide says the wrong bridge. And I looked in both guides to double-check myself, and I'm like, yeah, it, and it's it says the wrong bridge. And it's a typo that they didn't fix ten years later when they reprinted the book. That... And I wonder if they even know. No, no one. Yeah, <laughs> no one probably proofread it and sent them like a nasty granny email. Yeah, something like that. You know, so regular it, mail. So I'm like looking around this bridge the whole time, like, how the fuck do I get on top of there? There's no way to get on top of this other bridge. And then like I go to the other bridge and it's like there's vines hanging down that you can hook shot to. I'm like, like oh. oh fuck, it's just it just says the wrong bridge. They prefer the term claw shot. Yeah, well, you can suck my claw shot. Not sure what that means. Too Are you sure about that? Spider link. Spider, spider link. link. Tells whatever a spider link. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, I, I guess Spider-Man's still 
Disney. Disney oh yeah, still maybe has we the should closet. have put that in brief news stuff. I would make us drink for forgetting that, but uh, it's not really game related. That's true. It's uh, I mean it's kind of adjacent. I mean we did Batman and Nintendo Robin. anniversaries. Batman and Robin's anniversaries coming up. <laughs> you you did Robin. <laughs> Batman doesn't know. Crom did Robin. It's true. He did. Robin was B. Batman doesn't know. I wrote a fanfic about it. <laughs> I didn't, but I might. I was about to ask you if you were serious. <laughs> I was serious about Crom marrying Robin being me, but Batman was not involved. Yeah, that's but right. But I could write a fanfic about and it. I'll do what I can to make sure he stays out of it. <laughs> I'm going to have to call in a few favors. All right. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Perfect. Like, that was the first thing I thought when I said, who are you going to call? And I was like... Because at first, when I was asking the question, I was like, oh, he's going to get somebody from the DC Universe to take care of Batman? Lex Luthor? Or, you know, one of these big old Alfred. dark side? Alfred, yeah. Alfred, Alfred can, can take his ass. Yeah. And Alfred knows where he lives. Yeah. Alfred would be the perfect person to take down Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yep. He knows all the They're secrets. making a new series about Alfred, but it's only available on the DC streaming app, and I'm like... So, like, no yeah. one will fucking watch it? Right, yeah, which is kind of a problem with several of their new series, because I'm like, your streaming app has a couple of new series that I think look pretty cool, but I feel like they would do, like, way better to put it on Amazon Prime or Netflix or something. Put it on Crunchyroll. Where there's already good shit worth paying for that a ton of people are paying for I feel like that would be better than paying all the money to host their own servers to host you know a handful of probably not enough to justify the $6.99 a month it's funny every time they try to get their own slice of the pie <laughs> the pie starts shrinking as pirates run away with the goods I have the problem with the same problem with all the new Star Trek shit that CBS is trying to put on the CBS streaming app. And it's like... Fucking CBS... Who even, who even gives a shit about CBS? Right? The worst part is that the CBS streaming app is the exclusive place in the United States to stream the new Star Trek series. But you can stream them on Netflix in, like, Canada and the UK. I know there was a... Well, I should stop before I actually say stuff that will that can legally implicate me again well, yeah I already have said like a lot of shit that can be interpreted to be like unkind to this sexual orientation or this gender or this disability right which disability trying to remember the disability right now. <laughs> that seems like the kind of weird shit that probably would have accidentally come up, but I don't... Lisps. Oh, yeah. Those lispers. Uh, is there a racial slur for lispers? Lispers. <laughs> Mike Tyson's gonna walk down here and beat me up. Probably. Because, you know, he listens to this podcast. I'm sure he does. He's our number one fan. Not anymore. Not <laughs> after what I just said. Right, yeah. Now he's gonna fucking kick your ass. Hi, Mike. Hi, guys. I'm Mike Tyson. I was in Punch-Out. 
I'll beat the fuck out of Mario. Oh, yeah, why'd they take him out? Why'd they, why'd they replace you with Mr. Dream? I got too drunk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> My pet tiger from the hangover killed a guy. <laughs> well, that's not a surprise. Alright. Should we have a theme song to go out on? I was just thinking we'd do our normal thing where we sit, one of us said something so fucking awkward and strange that we didn't have any choice but to exit it. I know, but like somehow that, like we've been kind of bullshitting for like 15 minutes and it doesn't it just hasn't come happened, up yet. Yeah. yeah, it's like, do we, do we keep going? That, that almost could have been it. Yeah. But then I didn't push the button. <laughs> then you didn't push the button. So now we're I mean, talking. it's going to be up to you to push the button. I'll push your buttons. I thought about it there, too. Yeah. It's like, yeah, is it awkward enough? Like, I mean, I might have to take my pants all the way off. Can we invite Crow? 